you know, not telling her that, oh, this is a, you know, adoption hearing. Right. Um, so there's some issues there with, uh, let's say, ineffective assistance of counsel. Right, right. Wow, that's, I'm shocked to hear that story. I thought I've heard everything. <laughs> I've never heard a story like it, that. It's... I want to introduce you to the law offices of Vincent W. Davis at 888-888-6582. They're advocates for the rights of parents, grandparents, and guardians in juvenile dependency courts. Losing a child to a DCFS, CPS, social worker based on an anonymous call, complaint, or your ex-spouse is not only horrific, but it's commonplace. Everyone will agree that there's nothing more valuable than one's child. You cannot afford to fight this alone. Call the law offices of Vincent W. Davis at 888-888-6582. Connect with an attorney today. That's 888-888-6582. Get your kids back. All right. Good afternoon. This is attorney Vincent Davis, and this is The Secret, How to Fight CPS and When. Um, today we're going to be taking your calls, answering your questions, and uh, listening to your stories. And uh, I have a very special guest that's going to be joining us today. Uh, she's an attorney. She works with me. Her name is Jennifer Ani. Jennifer, are you there? Yes. Hi. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you for asking. Jennifer, what's been going on uh, with your cases these days? Are you have anything interesting going on? Oh gosh, I sure do. Um, I had a case last week where a mother of an infant, a newborn, had at birth suffered a stroke in the hospital. CPS was called. They assumed the stroke was brought on by drug use. And they placed the baby in foster care despite the availability of several maternal relatives who had stable homes and stable lives in the same community. The attorney, the court-appointed attorney for the mother at the first six-month review, of course, mom is still, uh, she was actually in a coma for a little bit, so she's rehabilitating speech therapy, physical therapy. At the first hearing, mom uh, asked if she had to appear. The attorney said, no, I'll waive your appearance and submitted on termination of reunification services, which of course starts the time for adoption to go through 120 days. So we got the case um, about a month after the six month review. And I was just able on a JV 180 to get the 21E reset. So we're going to start back from there and we're not going to submit on reunification services. I also obtained a hair follicle test for mom, which is negative for all substances. And uh, we have the speech therapy and physical therapy, which was so important to the social worker during those first six months that mom complete to get her child back. 
I mean, I don't think there's any law that says you have to complete speech or physical therapy. In fact, I think we might be running afoul of the ADA here. So it's very interesting, and I, I, I'm very happy that we were able to turn that around this month. Wow, that sounds like a great job. Um, what happened at the jurisdictional part of this case? Was she in the hospital at that time? Correct. And, was she and Juris was taken on the uh, – there were, there were no hospital records um, indicating maternal drug use. They, the social worker just, you know, it was her knee-jerk reaction um, because the family does have a history, you know, from 10 or 15 years ago um, with drug use, but there's been nothing since 10 or 15 years ago. So it was, you know, a complete leap of faith or non-faith, as it were, by the social worker to remove from mom. Uh, a police officer even went to the home at the, at the bequest of um, the father and found everything was okay, but still the social worker didn't, um, didn't accept that. Okay, meaning that the child would be safe in the grandparents' care. Wow. But placement was never done. So, yeah. Do you think there's any possibility or likelihood of maybe even setting aside the dispositional case plan or court orders? Well, that's, that's you know, we just got in the case. That is what I'm shooting for. But I'm pretty happy that I get to go back on the 21E <laughs> um, and, you know, take, I mean, the, the attorney for the mom, of course, didn't tell the mom what was at stake at this hearing. Told her, sure, don't bother coming. When mom was able to contact her after the 21E or the six-month review hearing, she said, oh, well, don't worry about it. We have another hearing in a couple months. I'll let you know. You know, not telling her that, oh, this is a, you know, adoption hearing. Right. Um, so there's some issues there with, uh let's say, ineffective assistance of counsel. Right, right. Wow, that's, I'm shocked to hear that story. I thought I've heard everything. <laughs> I've never heard a story like it, that. It, 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 yeah, it is. It, well, and the mother still isn't able to speak well. Um, I communicate through the maternal grandmother with the, with the client sitting you know, right there. Um, she's not able to articulate uh, and use sounds with her voice. Um, there's nothing... That nothing at all mentally wrong with her, but she, and so probably the social worker just decided that was too much effort for her to have to, you know, work with the family in that way. That's what seems to have happened. And they counted the family out, but, um, that's not the case. Do you think it, do you think it was some type of stroke or, or what do you think happened? It, it was definitely a stroke. In fact, she had two, but they weren't related to, and then they tried to say that it was related to domestic violence, that she was hit in the head by the father and that, and that, you know, caused it. Of course they had no, uh, substantial evidence to support right. that. Right. Amazing. Amazing. It was a good thing that they came to us and you were assigned to the case. Is this case in Southern California or Northern? No. Northern. Okay. I don't want you to name the county, but, you know, I've had some... No, I won't. <laughs> I won't. I've had some interesting cases, um, you know, from some of these Northern California counties. You know, um, that, you know, Art Lasalento called me this week and he asked me a question and it had to do with uh, Welfare and Institutions Code 827. <laughs> and, you know, yes. I, thought, I thought, you know what, Jennifer's an expert at that. Um, <laughs> and he and I are on a case in a Northern California county and um, we made a motion to uh, disclose uh, reports and records in, in this medical-based 
case to um, our own expert, our own medical expert, a doctor, you know, a local guy here in uh, the Pasadena area who's one of the preeminent experts, you know, on child abuse. And you know what the judge told us? The judge granted it, but said, you know, you don't have to make those types of motions if you're giving <laughs> it to our ex to your own expert. It wasn't like, you know, we were trying to blast it over the news. And, um, you know, Art said, well, you know, there seems to be every once in a while uh, seems to be some type of conflict, like some judges believe that you have to do that. And uh, this judge was of the opinion that you never had to do that if it's your own expert, which is something, you know, that I would always think, you know, if it was our own expert, you know, that's part of the quote-unquote law office, part of the attorney. Well, one would think that. Right. One would think that, but, but 827, by its terms, allows the, the court to distribute social reports and other documents in the case file to certain specific parties, of which a parent's attorney's expert is not one. That's the conflict. So the law is actually in conflict, I think, because the, the confidentiality provisions of 827 were never intended to limit a parent's defense in that way. Mm-hmm. Never intended. Never intended. And um, while I could understand if the expert were taking the documents copying them and stapling them on telephone poles throughout town. That would be problematic. Um, There is no other way an expert can competently uh, do his job for apparent defense without having documents. And if the expert were to put forth an opinion based upon anything but review of the documents, the court would not consider that opinion to be relevant because it wasn't considering the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. It would be an advisory opinion at best. So um, I definitely think there needs to be clarification. Um, that needs to be done by the legislature. I, I too, last week, um, asked three courts for, I, I, I started by saying, I understand technically I should file an 827. However, I'm wondering if I could be authorized to share the social reports with my psychiatric expert, medical expert, you know, whatever. And of course, no problem. You know, just, so I'm just getting that noted on record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it would be time prohibitive as well. These 827 petitions don't take priority on the case. And who knows when the judge will get around to deciding them. And in that Northern California case, the judge was asked at the, at the times and granted, but it is definitely an issue that some courts take a different view on you know um i once had a judicial officer question me about doing that about giving ex uh social worker reports to a psychologist who was my expert and initially i think that the judge believed that i couldn't do that and you know was going to maybe even have a hearing or an osc you know against me for doing that and i you know mentioned i didn't really argue i go you know, basically, are you telling me I can't give the social worker report to one of my own experts? And it, it kind of blew over and we never had the hearing. But I think that the judge may have thought about it, you know, how how that sounded. In other words, when it mentions attorney in the code itself, in 827 of the Welfare and Institutions Code, in other aspects of the attorney-client relation, your 
experts, your employees are part of that quote unquote attorney's office. So for example, is uh, that, does A27 say that my secretary can't look at the file when she's uh, exactly. tab and indexing it? The same thing, exactly. for, same thing for an expert, you know, and the experts all understand, you know, especially the, the, the guys and gals that do this uh, frequently, that, you know, all of this is confidential. They're medical doctors. It's confidential anyway. Um, so I don't, it would be kind of redundant. But I think that in other areas of the law, yeah. your expert is part of your office. And then, therefore, in, under, you know, CPS cases, your expert is part of your office as well. That makes sense. I guess I guess the the sticking point is the confidentiality provisions, but it absolutely makes it just doesn't pass the straight face test mm -hmm. that um, because if it applied to an expert, it would apply, as you say, to office staff, to right. you know, anybody. And, and that's that's just not that, that's not functional. So, you know, it'll be uh, interesting to see where that goes. You know, I, I, I also think that, um, you know, it would be if if cases were done pursuant, pursuant to the code and there was no uh, you know breaks in the case you couldn't do an 827 get it heard before, never before the time right. of the trial hey um right. jennifer i would like you to hold on we got to take uh, sure. our breaks here our first break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to uh tashita in california so stand by we'll be right back after these messages